0: This is the Best Run Podcast, brought to you by SAP. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the Best Run Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a responsive recovery and helping Australians get back to work. Today, I've got two special guests. My first guest is Ryan Van Leent who is a member of the Public Sector SME, SAP Institute for Digital Government, and Chris Peck, who is the Executive General Manager for Public Services at SAP. Welcome to both of you. Thanks,
1: Thanks very much, Great to
2: be here.
0: I'd like to get you guys to introduce yourselves and give us a bit of your background, if you don't mind. So, Ryan, would you like to go first?
2: Certainly. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Ryan Van Lint. Uh, I have a global role with SAP's Public Sector Business. That really gives me the opportunity to work with governments around the world on projects that have a, a positive impact on the lives of citizens. I also work with SAP's Institute for Digital Government, where we partner with universities to conduct research into accelerating innovation for public sector
0: organisations. Awesome. And Chris, how about yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks. So I've been uh, been with SAP now for 16 years uh, across various roles, um, from consulting to development to my current role, which has been... Uh, Leading the, the public services team here in Australia. I have the luxury, I guess, of, of traveling, well, used to travel around the country, um, covering, I guess, federal, state, local government, defence, uh, health, et cetera. So uh, a really good overall view of, of government across, uh, across Australia.
0: Great. So let's get into it then. So uh, we've had quite a year this year, um, you know, anything from raging bushfires, extreme weather conditions, drought, and a global pandemic now and obviously uh, very trying for government. Can you elaborate on your key observations during the immediate government response to these challenges? How about you, Chris? You go first.
1: Yeah, look, there's, um, as you say, it's been quite a year, and I guess uh, a few of my observations certainly revolve around, I guess, the speed at which we have been able to do things, whether it be businesses or, more importantly, the governments. And, you know, there's some really good examples uh, with the bushfire, certainly the bushfire recovery agency and just sort of breaking down some of the silos in agencies and, and forming this sort of national body uh to look and, and manage the bushfire recovery. And the second sort of in relation to that would be actually the national cabinet, you know, really just cutting down across those borders um and really providing what I've seen as a quite a unified, confident front when it comes to um uh to COVID nineteen. So you know, that, that sort of speed in the formation of those types of, of bodies has been um, really, really good to see. And then the second part to that is probably just the speed by which those types of of groups can, can form and create policy and implement policy. So if we look, you know, for example, some of the lockdown policies that were put in place, you know, as much as we hate them, it's it's put us in a very enviable position when you look at us compared to the rest of the world. So, that, that probably time to policy and and more to the point, maybe even the technology-centered, if we look at SAP um, and technology-focused, but the technology-centered policy that's emerged just around the country to, to tackle some of those. So those are probably my two key observations.
0: Ryan, would you agree or do you have something else to add? Yeah, I'd I'd
2: really like to expand on a couple of the the points that uh, Chris has made there in relation to both the bushfires um, and also the establishment of the National Cabinet. I guess uh, to, to start with, being a, a resident of Malua Bay, um, I had a very personal experience with the bushfires that hit our town on New Year's Eve. My experience really drove home for me the critical importance of real-time information. And if I think back on it, I guess, uh, like the rest of Australia, my wife and I had you know, been tuned into what was shaping up to be a pretty horror bushfire season, but also, like most Australians who live in a part of the country that's you know, considered relatively safe, we didn't really anticipate that it was going to impact us directly. That was uh, until New Year's Eve when um, a bushfire that we'd been monitoring whipped around the, the Clyde River and hit the town of Mogo, um, which is less than 10 kilometres to the west of us. We were, were prepared to leave, but our, our plans were totally messed up when our power and, and telephone and internet um, was cut. And without live updates, we didn't know whether the, the way out was clear of fires or where the roads had been closed. So the thing that ended up making the decision for us was actually visibly sighting the fire front from our balcony. And and since we didn't have any other option, you know, we, we ended up um, evacuating to Malua Bay Beach, uh, just down the road from us, where, you know, we, we stayed for quite a few hours, pretty much stranded until the, the fire front had passed. You know, in, in the end, we were extremely lucky that our, our home was spared, but, you know, lots of the families who were sheltering on the beach with us returned to, unfortunately, find their homes, you know, destroyed by the fire. And working you know as a member of uh, SAP's Institute for Digital Government uh, a key area of focus for me has always been data driven government but what that experience did was drive home you know in a very personal way the importance of real time information to support life critical decisions and, you know, now again, during the COVID-19 uh, crisis, we're relying on analytics to trace the spread of the coronavirus in real time to inform, you know, these types of critical policy decisions. And, you know, really the good news is that given the, the real-time platforms that we have today, we don't need for, you know, to wait for reports to be run in batch overnight anymore. We, we really just need to look for opportunities to embed analytics throughout you know, government business processes and and their operational systems, so that we can support these types of life critical decisions uh, to be made in the moment when when it matters most.
0: Gosh, that's quite a story there, right?
2: Yeah, it was uh, certainly an experience. Um, you know, but I, I guess on on the positive side, you know, something else from my bushfire experience was actually seeing. How the community um, and, and here I mean not only individuals and families but also businesses and all levels of government really united in the recovery effort. and to, to Chris's point, you know I think what we learned from the bushfires is that um, people in crisis really expect all levels of government to work together to provide the leadership and, and the supports that are you know, pretty desperately needed at that type of time. And I think that it's that realisation that resulted in the creation of the National Cabinet, um, which has really introduced a new level of collaboration between our, our federal and state governments. So although Australia's had a really rough start to 2020, the, the timing of the National Cabinet having been established just prior to the outbreak of COVID-19 was actually hugely fortuitous.
0: So. Looking past COVID, so, you know, one of the repercussions of COVID obviously has been uh, a lot of Australians actually out of work and and getting Australians back to work as quickly as possible is probably one of the key priorities for government right now. And I know that we've, uh, from SAP perspective, have helped by putting together a public policy paper on helping Australians get back to work. And that was in response to the Prime Minister's call for new policy ideas so the recommendations are really around how data and technology can help drive a bigger and faster economic recovery. Chris, would you be able to run through some of those recommendations with us?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, as you say, it is absolutely a chance for us and not just ourselves, but all the businesses around the country in, in how we can look to to utilise our capability and history in, in helping Australia get back to work. So it's no um, surprise that ours were very much technology focused, as you say, but it was really looking at the big problem, right? Driving bigger and faster sort of economic recovery over the next number of months. So, as I said, it's not just a challenge for governments to solve alone; it's it's for us to tip in. So, we put our thinking hats on and, and came up with six, I guess, themes, and each of those themes had some recommendations. I'll cover very quickly the six, and we we'll maybe just dive into a couple. But one was around digitizing small and and medium sized businesses and medium enterprises, and you know, if we look at it, they're responsible for employing close to 50, 50% of um, of the population of Australia. So when we look at it, they're very, very instrumental in, in getting the economy back and going. So we looked at ways of improving market access for those organizations, looking at a more efficient procurement um, process for them and, and really making recommendations around a, a strategic government IT investment into the SMEs and, and the manufacturers. So th- that was one of the key key areas we focused on another was around more to do with the public service and and one area was being more responsive and ryan's touched a little bit on that in in the bushfire example but you know that cross collaboration using data and technology to support a more holistic sort of understanding of of the complete if you want to call it business life cycle so the response of public service was was another area that we had some some good recommendations on the, the third, again, focused around public service was around the efficiency, the efficiency of the public service and approving that efficiency across all business operations within government um, and really looking uh, at a digitally skilled public service and you know, we can look at some good examples of that happening around the country as we speak in both New South Wales and Queensland governments, where they're looking at that efficiency within their their entire agency group. Also, when we look to the federal government and their their big program around uh, GovVRP, um, which is all about shared services and efficiencies and, and digitally skilling their workforce. So, again, looking at the recommendations there. Um, there's been some great thought and idea around how technology can help there. There's probably a real focus also when we look at the investment that will go into infrastructure projects, certainly at a state level. So one of the areas um, that we looked at was applying that digital engineering to all those infrastructure projects and the innovation and the digitization that we can apply to the delivery of those large government funded capital projects, which will continue, right? Those are the projects that can really help get the country back up and moving. Another area was around smart borders, really important right now. When we thought of smart borders and put these recommendations forward, it was really around keeping skills and people moving across country borders, but it's probably looking at where we're at now, it's about keeping people moving across state borders, right, during and and after the pandemic, so again, applying technology to be able to do that in a much more simpler fashion and we can see the impacts of that right now with people lining up at the borders for three or four hours just across and the last one which which we'll touch on a little bit i guess is is what ryan has already spoken about you know the data-driven policy response um, to unemployment for example you know we've talked about the need to utilize technology better bring big subsets of data together um, that government already owns but applying and combining that with some new insight and ryan touched a little bit on it when he talked around the insight into the sentiments of the bushfire victims we can do the same let's start to gather the insights and the sentiments of the job seekers and the insight and sentiment of the the industry that is is starting to create those jobs or bring the jobs to bear. So how do we stimulate the right types of employment opportunities in the right places at the right times and and bring those those two groups together? So data-driven policy can help there, right, around data access. Brian talked about that in the silos. We need to improve data access, first of all. Second is data quality, right? We really need to make sure that the data that we're working with is of, high quality consistency. Um, and last is, you know, just fighting through the, um, Ryan, you call it data fog, right? The sheer amount of data out there makes it really difficult. And we, we saw this in, in working with the, um, the National Bushfire uh, Recovery Agency and Emergency Management Australia, the pure volume of data that they were trying to work through and find some emerging trends or, or identify different pivotal events was really, really difficult. So we've got some great recommendations around that, um, certainly designing and deploying sort of ongoing data collection activity for things like Job Seeker and also ongoing data collection activity for the businesses that are engaged in the JobKeeper program as an example uh, of getting it, um, Australians back to work. So I've covered off the six there and, and a little bit of detail probably around the, the data driven one. Um, really encompasses the work of of that white paper we produced.
0: So, Ryan, I know you've been uh, doing further research as part of the SAP Institute for Digital Government. Uh, did you want to provide some more detail around what Chris just talked about?
2: I guess our, our experience, you know, working with a, a city in the United States really got us thinking about how we could help governments uh, to, to innovate with um, what we call operational and experience data. And we ended up preparing a responsive government playbook, which is full of scenarios um, that agencies can use to get, you know, really more proactive by understanding not only what's happening with their customer base, but also why it's happening. If I just go back to that, um, that customer in the US where this all started, really... Operational data was telling them that um, 95% of reported problems were being resolved by by the city within 24 hours. So you'd think that they were doing pretty well, but a citizen experience survey indicated that only 73% of their residents were satisfied with the services that were being provided by the city. And that really alerted them to what we now call an experience gap. So the, the city decided to ask residents about their experiences across really hundreds of municipal services that are offered. And, and what they found was that people actually didn't expect the government to solve their problem within 24 hours. What was most important to them were two things. So firstly, they wanted the city to make it easier for them to report a problem. Uh, and secondly, they expected the city to keep them informed throughout the process of resolving the problem that they reported. So by, you know, focusing on being easier to do business with, that, that really resulted in a pretty massive increase in citizen satisfaction. But what was really interesting was that by focusing on transparency, the citizens' perception of the timeliness of the services also improved. So, our research tells us that citizen satisfaction and process transparency are actually the leading indicators of trust in government. So, based on that, we set about creating a responsive government playbook that can be used by by agencies, firstly, to guide the discovery into the drivers of customer satisfaction, and then to formulate personalized responses based on what they've learned. And, uh, you know, six must, must be the magic number because we also identified in that white paper six scenarios. And if I take the first one as an example, um, it, in this scenario that we call cause, uh, we try to understand operational indicators by looking for explanations in experienced data. So let's say that operational data shows us that a high percentage of landowners are failing to pay their taxes on time after purchasing a new property. Well, the experience data might tell us that some of those landowners are unaware that they've passed the threshold for property tax. What we'd suggest is that a responsive government should offer proactive advice that a pending acquisition may result in an obligation to pay property tax. And the objective of that would be to avoid the buyer becoming a debtor. Um, so that's you know, similarly a, a, a kind of an intro to our responsive government playbook.
0: But that concept of rebuilding public trust is a really interesting one. You talked about transparency, transparency being key to building that trust. But why is transparency the the thing that you think is most important? Uh, you know, there are other things like privacy or security, for instance.
2: Yeah. You know, what the research tells us is that privacy and security fall into what's called uh, structural assurance, whereas um, transparency belongs to something called situational normality. So another way to say that is that privacy and security are binary, that the citizen kind of assumes that there's privacy and security in the systems that government uh, presents until there's a breach and then you've lost the citizen's trust, you know, possibly never to be regained. On the other hand, transparency is more uh, a, a continuous process. Um, so you can build up trust over time through uh, transparency into government processes and the, and the data that's being held uh, by, by government. So it's really a positive action that governments can take to build trust. And this is, I guess, why you know, we suggest that, that um, this, this is, uh, should be a key focus Really, you know, with privacy and security, the way that I think about it is the, the only way there is down, but with transparency, the only way is up. So, so that's why I prefer to focus on transparency. And
1: probably something we've seen uh, very well over the last number of months with government has been much more transparent than, than they may have in the past. And it was just the circumstances of events led to them needing to be very transparent and moving at speed um, and communicating. And communicating a lot to the citizens. And I think that's been a very key part of that as well. And as you say, this this gathering of insights or listening to the citizen um, plays a very important role into that transparency and and increasing that trust in in government. You know, they're out there asking, speaking and seeking information from the citizen um, probably more than they have in the past, which has been great to see.
0: It's a really interesting evolution because, you know, we've also got the large amounts of data out there and information. So you don't have that transparency. There's bound to be things that come up that are uncovered or unearthed, uh, which will obviously uh, degrade the the trust. So being transparent obviously uh, puts you in a much better situation. All right. Uh, So the responsive government playbook, Ryan, you've talked about that. Um, How do you expect it to be used in practice? I guess our,
2: our playbook really can be used in a few ways. It's, it's not so much meant as a, as a comparative assessment, but, but it can be used as a self-assessment by agencies to help identify uh, areas of focus to improve the citizen experience. It can also give government ideas for how they can combine operational experience data to understand, like like I said before, not only what's happening with the customer base but also why it's happening and as I mentioned there are those six scenarios Um, it gives uh, agencies a set of scenarios that they could use to get more proactive and and be more responsive to citizen needs so I guess that there's there's really a few ways that it, it can be used.
1: And I think, um, just to add to that, Ryan, if we break it down to the basic steps, it's um you know, as you say, improving responsiveness by government's going to be around making it easy to provide feedback to the government and being able to measure that feedback, using that information to be able to predict what is happening or what may happen in the future and and more importantly, the responsive side is about improving so the government can be able to take. That insight and that feedback, and actually be able to to move forward with some action to fulfil what it is they're hearing from the citizen or the public servant. And I think those three things of measuring, predicting, and improving are, are the key three basic steps that that we need to look at to to really look at a responsive public service.
2: And and I think that you know that there's a really Great example in one of our Australian government customers um, who've used experience data to reduce the barriers to to starting a new business uh, in their jurisdiction. So, you know, when, when this customer collected feedback from business owners, what they discovered was that people trying to start a new business were having to deal with multiple agencies and complete dozens of forms. So by linking together their regulatory processes the the government was able to cut through the red tape and make it much faster um, to get businesses up and running. So as you can imagine, this has had a really positive impact on the survival rate for new businesses. And kind of going back to our COVID discussion, it's it's really easy to see how that type of policy reform will be really helpful for restarting businesses that have been in hibernation um, during the coronavirus.
0: So, I mean, I'll have to say it as a citizen myself, uh, you know, having that responsiveness, that clarity in communication has really been important for me in this uncertain time to understand, you know, what comes next uh, from, from a government perspective. Is there anything else you guys would like to add?
1: I guess from my point of view, just looking at um, sort of the time frame from January and, and those crises that we've been through and are still in, there's a lot to learn, especially to your final comment there, Rushenka, around the trust, the transparency and, and the way we're doing things. So it'll be exciting and interesting to watch as we move forward, just how much we learn from this COVID-19 period, right? And how much of it sticks with us, and, uh, and carries through in the way that, uh, businesses and governments move forward. And we would love to be able to see some of this, as I mentioned in the opening, the, the time to policy or, you know, that technology centered policy sticking, right? And, and really helping us get through and accelerate the other, other side of this. So that's what I'm excited about. We've seen just a leap forward when we look at things like online healthcare, or we look at the delivery of Thousands of courses from universities online flipped from classroom to to digital within a week's time. You know, there's some amazing things that have come out of this, and really want to see some of that stuff stick and and stay with us moving forward.
0: Thank you, Chris. Ryan, did you want to add something? Uh,
2: yeah, I guess just kind of building on on um, Chris's commentary there about you know what can we take away and and looking you know to, towards the future. Um, I think you know we we obviously have a current challenge around our second wave, but really, you know, I think we as Australians should be very proud of what we've accomplished in the first half of this year. And and working in a global team, I can I can tell you that Australia's achievements are are the envy of the world. But but more than that, I, I think that we should be really proud of how we've come together as a community. Um, and, you know, I think that we've proven to ourselves that we can deliver really unbelievable outcomes um, through, uh, through taking collective action. And, and the opportunity, you know, for us now really is to learn from our experiences and to apply it to other, you know, what, what we call wicked problems, um, you know, facing uh, our, our society and And I think that you know during this time, governments really led the way in in motivating and coordinating the community response uh, to the coronavirus. but I, I think that you know we can really take that to the next level by you know combining, as we've discussed, the the operational experience data to to help you know governments become more responsive.
0: Thank you both for joining us today and sharing your insights. I found them really interesting. And I'm really looking forward to reading that uh, public policy paper. You can actually go to sap.com backslash Australia backslash government, and you can download both the Responsive Government Playbook and also the public policy paper on helping Australians get back to work there. Thanks, everyone. And you've been listening to the Best Run Podcast. You've been listening to the Best Run Podcast. Brought to you by SAP.